The book of Colossians, such a great book. Paul the Apostle wrote it to a group of people that had experienced salvation. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And um, I have a good word for you. It's actually a Good Friday word. It's about what Jesus came to accomplish for us. And uh, Colossians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle has a burden, and he talks about it in terms of a struggle, how great a struggle. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. So Paul has this burden for souls. He has a burden for people to come to understand so that their hearts may be encouraged. It says in verse 2, Uh, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. You know, they say with knowledge there's power, but here Paul says with understanding, with assurance and understanding comes all this wealth, all this blessing. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, Peter tells us, and in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus has a lot going on, and he's come to share it. And uh, Paul doesn't want anybody to be deceived. So in verse 4, he says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. There's so much right now in the, these uh, last days, the Bible says knowledge will increase. And uh, really never before in human history has there been such access to so much, so sudden uh, with all the electronics. And uh, this admonition from 2,000 years ago, furnished through Paul, is even, I think, more essential and more concentrated maybe now than ever. Uh, It was crazy then. It's been a concentration, a perpetuation of crazy now. And we're to see to it that no one delude us or deceive us with persuasive argument. He said, even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So this is Paul's heart as a leader, and he really wants people to be encouraged. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. And he, no, he does not want them to be deceived. So he's, his exhortation is leading up and building up to something, and he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And I love this verse because just as simply and essentially as repentance and surrender and the beginnings of our faith and the new, what's called the new birth, if anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a brand new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. Uh, this doesn't tell us to dumb it down. It doesn't exhort us toward oversimplicity, but it does tell us to get down to the essence. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We receive him in a moment of humility. With meekness, we receive the engrafted word. We humble ourselves. You have to. You know, we visited a church in Bethlehem years ago in the 70s, the Church of the Nativity. I think its uh, overseers are, uh, I think, Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox. I don't remember. But whoever the builders of the ancient building, they built the doorway to be about this tall. And it wasn't because people were the size of hobbits. It was because they they were wanting to enter in in a posture of humility. I thought that was really significant. That really struck me. In fact, that's the main thing that stood out to me uh, was that that you humble yourself, that with meekness we receive him. And then as you receive Jesus with enthusiasm, you know, why not? I remember 
when we had a, a boat wreck and we were all knocked unconscious, three of us, the U.S. Coast Guard came in a helicopter, dropped the swimmer off. He came up to the edge of the boat and he asked for permission to board. What do you think I said? Permission granted. We were knocked out. My, the, the pilot of the boat nearly died with a terrible injury. Another man almost lost his left eye. It was, uh, we were broken up. It was amazing. But yet, uh, when we had a rescuer come, we were really happy to see him. And uh, we received him gladly. As you receive Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Keep it simple. Stay humble. Walk with the Lord. Stay tender before him. In fact, tonight, I believe as we receive Holy Communion, as we nail these declarations to the cross tonight, we use these as points of faith, as a point of contact. When we use this opportunity to worship, we use this opportunity to come together, not just because we're prone toward religious routine, but because we've discovered something that life has meaning when you go to the prince of life, and it has value when you go to the one who created it. And then it'll continue to have reset as you continue to walk with him in this way. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. You know, there were some weeds that popped up over in one of the islands over here. And we're walking around the campus preparing for Easter. And when I saw these weeds, I was with my son Kingston, the, the red-haired guy that was worshiping. And um, I went over to pull the weeds and the roots were so strong that the tops just popped right off. My dad taught me, you know, you got to get them by the root, you know. And uh, he would not have even counted that as weeding. I would have been in trouble, actually, with him. He would have made me go get a shovel or something and dig it up. But though I, I, for the purposes of this message, those, those little weeds were really holding on. They, had the, they were rooted. And I want to encourage you that you are firmly rooted and grounded, and you're being built up in him, established in your faith, uh, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Who in here is grateful tonight? Grateful for God, grateful for his mercy, grateful we're still here. Who is still here? Who's still alive? Most of us, that's good. Verse eight, look, look at somebody next to you and say, I'm still alive. Hallelujah, that feels good, doesn't it? We're still here. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now see, verse 8 is re repeating what he said that he didn't want, in verse 4, for anyone to delude the people with persuasive argument. Uh, he wants us to be rooted and grounded and solid. I, I believe that we're tonight becoming anchored to the substance and heart of the matter. We're going, I want to tell you, Christianity at its root is Christ. It's not a principle-driven movement. It's not a systems-driven movement. Uh, it's not even communal. It's a person-based movement, and that person is Jesus. And then from that, we as a community of believers rally under his leadership. We're at our best when, as we receive Christ as Lord, we walk in him. Tonight... If you haven't asked Jesus to come into your heart, today's the day of salvation. Before you receive communion, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've been blasé or you've grown weary, or maybe you've even been deluded, maybe you've been pulled away by some 
some sophisticated argument. It's pretty intense. It was intense apparently during Paul's ministry for the Colossians. They were trying to undermine. There were so many different variables. There was legalism amongst Judaizers, they were called, where they were trying to impose religious uh, do's and don'ts uh, in the midst of God's grace. There were Gnostics that were specializing in intellectualism. And uh, there were all kinds of different uh, flavors. And Paul was trying to get everybody centered on the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. And here we see the urging to avoid the traditions of men. The Bible says in another place that the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. Now, I will tell you that there are traditions of the elders that have been passed down that are in fact good. There are wholesome traditions that are afforded us from the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures. And we are to walk in observance of those. This is not a religious thing right now. This is not a, just some sort of a blind obeisance. This is like a party. It's a celebration that's actually, it's, it was somber in the birthing of it. It, it, it. The starkness of the cross creates also the brightness and the contrast of the vibrancy of the resurrection. But Jesus had to suffer and die for us in order for us to have this eventful moment. And so traditions of men will deteriorate us and crush us in the elementary principles of the world. You know, they, they, they run out of gas, but really... We need to go with the things that are according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Most cults chip away at his deity. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the unique person of the universe. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He told Peter, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. It's fascinating. God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have done a tremendous and excellent thing. And humanity should rally because at the foot of the cross, all hope and all possibilities and all answers can be obtained. It's grim and it's, it's bleak without Him. It's hopeful and awesome with Him. And we need to let that penetrate our hearts tonight. And He said, and in Him... You have been made complete. Say this with me. I am complete in him. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were all circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, this is interesting. God made a covenant with Abraham and the symbol of it was circumcision. And yet with God in Christ, he's, he's helped us in our fleshly nature. And he's given us a new birth and a potential to walk in the spirit and not be under the law, and walk in the Spirit, and not fulfill the dictates of the flesh. And as long as we're alive in the human condition, we battle. As long as we're alive on this earth, uh, yet we battle uh, with strength and with God's, God's supernatural power on the inside of us. We're actually, I remind you, in Christ, and therefore we're complete in Him. And He's given us all provision. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is available to us in Christ. This hasn't been preached enough in the church. Uh, the, the, the necessity to repent of sin is paramount. But the, the remove and replace, if anyone is in Christ, he or she has become a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Jesus removed that curse. He removed that power and he imparted his own supernatural power available to every man, woman, and child that would call upon the name of Jesus. Ours is not a weak religion. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Even when we die, we live. And even in this day, even, you know, it's a, it's a historical event that we acknowledge. It's a theological uh, reality that we acknowledge. There was a death, there was a burial, there was a resurrection in, in its technicalities. But man, then we move to the practicalities and we personally apply it to our lives. The Bible says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, even if you, when you believe in me, even if you die, you live. The big fear, there are many phobias, hundreds and hundreds of them. But the top of the tier is the fear of death. The Colossians dealt with it. The Jewish people dealt with it. Paul dealt with it. And then Jesus particularly dealt with it because he died and then he returned from it. And he's letting us know that he's the resurrection and we'll have a resurrection. That's why a good Friday is good Friday and not somber, miserable Friday. It was, it was absolute suffering for Jesus in order that we could have absolute connection with the Father. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw and he peered through the annals of time. He saw and he anticipated that his Father's heart would be made glad. But he also saw that people like you and me would get up out of the dirt and the degradation of our own sin and be able to stand before God, not on the basis of our performance, not something we could ever earn, nor did we deserve it, but we receive what Jesus provided. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Let that captivate your heart right now. Let that wash you and renew you. When you get ready to receive communion, recognize the blood of Jesus in all of its totality and sufficiency. It's the only substance that can actually eradicate the sin condition. And let's just continue here because I'm, I'm just setting up a, the, the prelude of this. It says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, we died with Christ when Jesus was crucified we were crucified with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. And it says in Colossians 2.20, it says, if we have died with Christ in the elementary principles of the world, and we have died with Christ, wherefore, if, if we are dead with Christ, and then it says in Romans 6.4, Jesus, when he was buried, we were buried with him. We were buried with him. But then in one of my favorite verses, Romans chapter six, verse four, it says, but we've been raised up to walk in newness of life. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Amen. I'm stirring up some of you by reminder. I'm stirring you up to remember that new creation life that Jesus came to bring. That, that the reality of his presence and his power to come in and move. How many of you been, you've had experiences with God where he's walked you through some things? He's been with you through trouble. He's wiped away your hot tears when you were suffering. How many of you, he was with you in your times of mourning and heartache? 
How about he was with you when you confessed your sin and got renewal from him and his mercy came upon you? He didn't lay a guilt trip on you because it was already laid on him on the cross. He endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we've been raised up and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. When Jesus arose from the grave as a conqueror, we arose with him. He quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together to walk in newness of life. When Jesus went back to the throne and he sat down at the right hand of God, he made us to sit together with him. Imagine that. Ephesians 2, 6. We're seated together with him in heavenly places. He's designed us and qualified us to rule and reign with him. Again, not on the basis of our performance, not on our charm or our human sophistication, but on the basis of his mercy and on the basis of his grace and on the basis of his free gift and on the basis of his invitation that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved for eternity, saved from hell, saved from sin and its consequences, and saved from a futile way of life and brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Here, it's getting to the part I really have concentrated on for tonight. It says this right here in, in verse uh, 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All our transgressions. He's forgiven us. Now, I used to hear a preacher preach that God had videotapes, uh, VHS tapes particularly, because I heard it in the 70s. And um, how many of you think God is a little bit beyond VHS? How many of you think he's even beyond DVD? I'll tell you what I'm really grateful for. He's even beyond the notion of carrying all of our sins on a record and shoving them back in our face. When Jesus went to the trouble of dying to eradicate our sin condition, we must understand this. This is the good news message that we have to give to the world. We can't have an incomplete gospel. It's got to be something that people can get a hold of and understand. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Isaiah 43, he said, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Put me in remembrance. Argue your, argue your case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. He did this for his own purposes that he would have a people for himself. He had no need, but he wanted to give us the opportunity to connect with him for eternity. W welcome to the beginnings and the inception of your eternity. You're wondering about eternal life, it's upon us now. This is what we're celebrating tonight. This is the awareness that fostered that exuberance in praise and worship. This is why we're, we're amening and why we're being roused in, in our hearts because the work of eternal life has already been provided. It's already been something that's being sustained in us. How many of you would say the Lord has been good to you and has brought you through many things? Forgiveness of all of our transgressions. Now, this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to get a hold of. Verse 14 having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it 
to the cross. Listen, in another place, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Deuteronomy 22, uh, 21, verse 22 through 23 is what was emphasized there by Paul, that if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death, surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is cursed of God. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus had to suffer and die and to fulfill this biblical prophecy concerning the Messiah, this is what he had to take upon himself, the curse of the fall of man, the result and consequence of your sin and mine, so that we could have access to the throne of grace. This is what Jesus said in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives. Oh, listen, man, we live in such a harsh time right now. But can I tell you, he canceled out the certificate of debt. He canceled it out. The Greek word, it means to obliterate, to wipe away, to erase. Blotting out in the King James is kind of unclear to me. But erase, I love the word erase. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, I used to always volunteer to erase the chalkboard for the teacher. You know, I just loved the process. You know, the, here's a blackboard and there's white chalk on it. And here's, a, here's an eraser and you could erase it. And on the weekends, the, the janitor would come in and he'd clean it up with uh, some sort of, of, of cleaner so where even the dust would come off of it. And I love the idea of a, a clean slate, a new beginning. Don't you love it? When I was a kid, we had my era's version of uh, the iPad. It was, it was uh, no, I was before Etch-A-Sketch. It was, it was that tar paper with a plastic thing on the top. I'm talking from the dawn of time. We hear about Abraham Lincoln. I was just in Illinois. We have people here from Illinois. Atlanta Lincoln, and you know, he, we heard that he used to write on, uh, he didn't have paper, he didn't have a pencil, but he could use uh, uh, a piece of slate, you know, and he, you know, he, he self-taught, he had to educate himself for the most part in his younger days, and then, but yet you could erase it and start over again. How many of you are grateful that he blotted out and canceled out your debt of sin? That God doesn't have a pile of VHS tapes with our names on it and all of our failure. But there is a message where Jesus came and to save sinners from their sins. Who in here is grateful for that? I read this, he canceled, having canceled out the certificate of debt. And I think currently society is trending to a cancel culture. It's a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of the social or professional circles, whether it be online or in social media or in person, those who are subject to this ostracism are said to have been canceled. The Urban Dictionary defines canceling as to dismiss something or somebody 
and to reject an individual or an idea. But can I tell you that when Jesus canceled, it wasn't dismissive in a hostile sense to put us away, but it was actually to cancel our sin and put it away so we can be connected with God and be included and accepted in the beloved? Can I tell you it's totally different than the vibe of our times? Jesus came to cancel our debt, not cancel us. He came to cancel the sin that was preventing us from connecting with God. We were actually ostracized by our own sin. And yet God came and and he came to cancel out sin. And I think the idea of this cancel is rejection. It's dismissive and it's rejection. So God actually took sin and dealt with it and allowed it to be crucified through Jesus. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani in the Aramaic. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus allowed the sin of humanity to come upon himself at the hands of Pontius Pilate over and over again. They kept giving him opportunity to defend himself. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He didn't get defensive because he was there to die so we would not be canceled cultured, but our sin would be canceled so we could be accepted into God's kingdom culture. That is the opposite of what's happening in society right now. What's happening to individuals and harshness on levels that are phenomenal This is actually what Jesus did to the sins of humanity. And Paul is trying to explain this to the Colossians. And they would have understood it in Paul's day. Because in that period, your certificate of debt was publicized. Let me tell you on myself. When we went to Bible school, I was driving into Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, into downtown. It was about a half a block long at the time. And uh, there was a place, a new bank uh, we were going to. And so we were driving down the street. I saw a parking spot over there. So I just took a turn and I parked into this parking spot. And a cop pulled up and gave me a ticket. And I thought, I mean, ignorance of the law is no excuse. But I thought it was, I was doing a, it was okay to do that. And there was a parking spot. And, and he was just waiting. I mean, it was, I guess, happening all the time. You know, new students would come in town. And, uh, you know. I mean, you know, that, so that happened. Well, not only did that happen, they printed it in the newspaper <laughs> with my name on it that I did that. Yeah. And uh, it was my, my, my certificate of debt that was hostile to me. I read the paper. I was like, oh, man. You know? And uh, it's embarrassing when you're trying really hard to be impressive when you're 20-something years old, you know? But in this period, they did that sort of thing. Interestingly, there are two things that were nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross, all of our sin. But also, a plaque and the description of his crime, king of the Jews, in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Hebrew, you know, people are wondering about ethnicity and and diversity and inclusion. It was all right there on the cross. He was crucified on a crossroads. When we were there recently and they were talking about where he was crucified and why he was crucified on Golgotha. And there are a couple of places that archaeology speculates. And I talked to different people who lean one way or the other in this one garden area, this one area more into the interior of Jerusalem. 
I've never really been that concerned about it. I just know Jesus suffered and died, rose from the grave. And as far as the exact uh, street address, I'm okay. I, you know what? I'm okay because Jesus did do what he said he, he would do. And he, and he died and he suffered and he took your certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you, which were hostile to you. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is radical, but take, put your seatbelt on. Make, check your driver's side airbag. Because what I'm about to tell you is radical. That if anyone is in Christ, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, free doesn't mean we're welcome to continue to sin. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Thank God that God's superabundant grace is greater than all the cumulative collective sin that ever has been or ever will be. Jesus' blood is so powerful. And I've just been reading in Leviticus and I've been reading in Hebrews about the blood of bulls and goats and all the tech. I went to Shiloh where I saw where, where Eli and, and Samuel and, and others worshiped the Lord in the tabernacle and the technical responsibilities they had with blood sacrifice. But then all along, Jesus, God's intent was to furnish his only son. Look, I have two sons and two daughters. I adore them and now three grandchildren. I have a, such a commitment and affection for them to think about God sending his son to die for us, to suffer and die, is really a big deal. Let, you know, it's as big a deal as you can imagine and then exponentially even more a big deal. It wasn't just nail scars and a, thorn, a crown of thorns and the, the whipping of his back. That was, that was physical suffering. Where he really suffered is he had never sinned, but he became a sin substitute for us. That's why he said, God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his existence, he actually experienced that ostracizing, that alienation. As he was canceling out sin, he got canceled. Why have you forsaken me? But he did that so we would not be canceled, but our sins would be canceled. And that we would be washed and renewed and made new creatures in Christ. Let, get a hold of this on Good Friday. Get a hold of this as you get ready to receive communion. Let God push the reset button in your heart. Get as fervent for God as you, you ever have been. People need you so desperately to be in tune and in touch with these realities. Just like when Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Do you know that he would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh? And that it's agreeable throughout the whole church, the orthodox, orthodoxy of, of the church, that every believer has the Holy Spirit. You know, and so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, he'll change you. He'll empower you. He's not weak toward you. He's mighty in you. He'll rearrange your thinking. He'll tune in your aspirations. He'll dust off vision that has, you, where you feel like you've floundered and languished and your next days are your best days. No need to grow bitter, you could just get better. They go, we go from glory to glory, the Bible says. And if you feel a little morbid and dreary, realize that when Jesus was suffering and dying, the sky turned dark, there was a terrible earthquake. And most people abandoned Jesus. Mary was there. John was there. People left him. And he, he committed his heart and his spirit to God. He bowed his head and he died. I'll tell you, this beats the fatalism of existentialism from World War II. 
It beats, it beats the emptiness of hedonism. It beats the emptiness of human philosophy. Uh, don't be deluded by these, even though they may be persuasive arguments. Let each person be fully persuaded in their own mind concerning Jesus, concerning what happened on the cross. Can I tell you that when he took our debt, our certificate of debt, I've told this story to our church, but it bears repeating. When uh, we've had four kids and our first child we had in between our first and second year of Bible school, and we did not have medical insurance. My wife had been through college, was a teacher, and she had medical insurance when she was a teacher, but we pulled out and we were both full-time students working, uh, you know, clerk jobs. And we worked hard, but we didn't have, they didn't provide uh, any kind of medical insurance. So we had to pay cash. My wife had the baby without any anesthetics. That was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen in my life. I still am blown away by that. I mean, I, I heard of a blind guy walking up to the top of Mount Everest, and I think that's amazing. But not as amazing as watching a, a woman have a baby. But what was amazing is we would make payments to our doctor. We paid the hospital, and, uh, but with our doctor, we, had, we were on a pay scale or a... Uh, a plan, yeah, a payment plan. And, and he, we were good with it. He was good with it. We were making our payments in time as we anticipated our income. And then um, at one point, I went up to pay the, the remainder of the bill. And I knew, and they had a paper, and they had a, the amount, and they kept drawing a line through it. And as I kept bringing in a check, or, and they kept putting a line through it. So I went up to the lady, and I said, I'm here to make my payment. And I said, how much more do I owe? Because I was getting close. And she said, um, it's paid in full. And I could read upside down. That's one of my gifts. <laughs> it really wasn't a gift when every time we had a salary review and I went in, into the office, the guy had a paper right on there and I could see ev what everybody was making. That, that's, yeah, my dad taught me that's not right. But I could, I, I, so I, after the first three years, I thought, I'm not going to look at that paper. He's going to do it again. And it's going to be right there. And I was going to see I was the lowest man on the totem pole. Always, through the whole time. But anyway, hallelujah. Um, that's a whole other story. But with this, I looked and I could see I owed maybe, I think, 300 more dollars or something like that. 351 dollars, which was, that was real money in 1979. That was like at three quarters of a million dollars. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And... Uh, the doctor came out and he said, I, and I wasn't mad, I wasn't upset, but I was frustrated. He was like, come on, I could read upside down. And, uh, and I, she keeps telling me I don't know anymore. And she, he, he said, well, let me see the paper. And he looked at it. He said, yeah, it's paid in full. And then I, it occurred to me that he was forgiving my debt. We had paid mo the majority of it, but at that end part. So I, I like to think our firstborn daughter, we got her at a discount, <laughs> right? Right? We got her at a discount. Um, listen to this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now that doesn't sound to me like he's holding VHS tapes over our heads, does it? It sounds like the blood of Jesus is so substantial. He said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world.
Did you hear that? Good Friday is Good Friday because someone came to rescue humanity from something that all the persuasive arguments couldn't help. When I was in college in an English composition class, my professor asked us to write a paper about why life is empty, meaningless, and absurd. And he, in fact, was a student of Kierkegaard and John Paul Sartre and people that were proficient in this existentialist, there's no God, so we've just got to kind of hunker down and just get along with existence. But it was very morbid and incomplete, and I felt totally incapable of writing the paper. So I raised my hand and said, I can't write a paper that life is empty, meaningless, and absurd. He said, well, why not? I said, because I believe life is wonderful, awesome, and amazing. He goes, well, write a paper about that then. So I said, okay. So I did. He read it in class. And then he asked me to go to lunch with him, which is rare. You know, he was the age of my father. You know, he was the professor. I was a student. But he said, I just want to, I'm always fascinated when people get their lives changed. And so I was able to talk to him about how Jesus had changed my life. You know, Jesus is the one who eradicates the sin condition, and he pronounces us righteous. He who knew no sin, listen, 2 Corinthians 5.21, was made to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. That as sons and daughters, we rule and reign with him. We walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. As we've received Jesus as our Lord, so we walk in him. We walk by faith. We walk with confidence. We walk not having a righteousness of our own consisting of works or our performance, but we have this righteousness that's imparted as a gift from the sacrifice of Jesus. Man, you guys, there's a developer that wanted to have a meeting with me because our facilities are the largest neighbor of all of his development. He said, I just wanted to meet my biggest neighbor. And he said to me, what, are you giving out free tickets to heaven or something? (laughs) And I looked at him across the desk and I said, well, as a matter of fact, yes. (laughs) And, and, And really, I'm not. Jesus paid the penalty that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will have eternal life. Not only only long running throughout the ages and ages, quantitatively, get ready for this, I'm a believer in the qualitative, this quality of life, life that heaven itself enjoys. There's a name Zoe. Have you ever met somebody named Zoe? A lot of names... Kids named Zoe. Well, that, that's a Greek word that means life. But it's actually a kind of, it's the kind of life that heaven itself enjoys. When my dad died, my brother said to me, he wouldn't want to come back here. Um, you know, if he could, he wouldn't want to come back here at this point. And that, that brought so much comfort to me. You know, you just feel such a sucker punch because death is an enemy. And that's why Good Friday is so significant, because death has been conquered. The big phobia of all phobias is dealt with. And we'll eventually get to see them. But can you, you can't imagine how wonderful it would be to be unfiltered in the presence of God, enjoying his presence. You have loved ones there. Who in here have, you have loved ones there? And you cherish the opportunity to get to connect with them again. It's going to be sweet, man. And we're going to see people who are going to be like, wow, 
If I had known how great that was, I'd have gotten more people saved. I would have stayed with it more fervently. I would have been singing louder during worship. Hey, somebody's saying, this guy's singing loud next to me and he's off key. What do we do? The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm just saying. It says in verse 15, he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The substance and the substantialness, if I could say it that way, of Jesus is that he pardons all of our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. Let this, these promises get rooted down and anchored and tethered into your life. I, I come against depression over some of you in Jesus' name. It's tried to loom over you like a demonic oppression, and I break it in the name of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus which cancels out those evil forces. And I pray, God, hey, listen, with long life, he satisfies you and shows you his salvation. We might as well believe God for the fullness of what Jesus has provided. He pardons all of our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. I'll read this to you as we get ready. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. It's a quote from Isaiah 53. It says, For you have been called to this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Let me read that again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. This is Peter's version of the certificate of debt has been canceled out and nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. You see the difference of cancel culture? The ostracizing of people and dismissiveness and mean harshness of people, that's the opposite of what Jesus came to cancel. He didn't come to cancel people. He came to cancel the sin that prevented us from fellowshipping with God so we can be accepted and have fellowship with God. You talk about woke, let's wake up, awake unto righteousness. You talk about freedom, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. I think it was between four and six million people were emancipated. The Emancipation Proclamation of 18, what, 65 or whenever it was. But it still took time. People that were in the patterns of slavery, the system still tried to morph into more bondage. Just keep them as indentured servants and keep more importantly and specifically the mentality of, of, of being victimized rather than being a victor. It took time. It takes time. I heard a story about a guy who, uh, evil, it was evil, but, uh, and I hope it's just a story. Somebody who caught a bald eagle and, and this farmer had it with a, a, an anklet and a chain and a stake driven in the ground and this thing would walk around out in the outskirts of his barn and walk around in circles. And it, you know, I guess that it had an injury. Maybe the farmer was actually trying to convalesce it and kept it there to be safe to not go out and, and get, get killed by a predator. I don't know. But somebody came and said, hey, uh, 
why, why don't you set your eagle free? And he said, yeah, it's, it's time. Go ahead and set it free. So they took the anklet off and the chain off of its foot and the eagle kept walking in the same circle where it had worn a path. It, it, just, it just had lost its vision or, of its purpose and its ability to have call, uh, uh, thrust and lift. It, didn't, it forgot it had uh, the ability to fly. And uh, that, this is, I think, sometimes what happens with believers. And I think this is what this message affords us today. Read Colossians, the whole book. Go into chapter three. Go into the whole book is amazing. Only four chapters. Spend time in Colossians chapter two. It'll rouse your faith. It'll guard you from being uh, diluted by persuasive arguments. And it'll help you to be firmly persuaded in your own mind. Listen, Jesus loves you. You're in a building where a Japanese research scientist came for two years with his wife. He announced to me that he was Buddhist and that he wasn't a Christian. I said, well, you're welcome here. His wife was a Christian and she was struggling. He was such a good husband. He was tending to her. She felt embarrassed. She told me in her English, she said, I'm, I'm, a, shame, I'm a shameful Japanese wife. This is what the expectation is and I'm, I'm not living up to it. And, and I, said to his, I said to her husband, I said, you're, you act like more of a Christian husband than a lot of Christian husbands I know. He said, what do you mean? You're treating her with such kindness. You don't even share her faith and yet you're willing to support her in her faith so you could help her get, you think this will help her? Well, it will help her. He goes, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Buddhist. I said, well, we have a Buddhist section in our church. He said, really? I said, yeah, wherever you sit. Then there was a guy named Damien at Schnooks. He was my checker and I talked to him about Jesus. And he dedicated, he came to church with his mom. They got saved, they got back with God. And uh, their father was an Orthodox Jewish surgeon. He wanted to have an appointment with me. And I was, I was nervous. I thought, oh man, this, this guy's upset. He came and he, 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 was, he ended up being a very endearing person. He was working through these processes. And you know, he was concerned for him as a Jewish person, the radical change that would take place were he to receive Jesus as his Messiah. I didn't understand it fully, but as he explained it to me, it, it was a, a very hard thing that he would have to overcome. He spent two years here. He became, he asked, he realized Jesus was fully God and fully man and the Messiah and the Savior. He, he received Jesus and came into a new birth. There's another guy named Jim. He started coming to church. He announced to me that he was an agnostic. I said, okay, I appreciate your honesty. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm a believer. And I'm not gonna beat you over the head or cram it down your throat, but I, I am gonna just tell you, I do want you to receive Jesus because he's wonderful. You know, he gave his heart to the Lord a few weeks later, and he's still serving God to this day. And Jesus is knocking on the door of each one of our hearts. He's knocking on the door of my heart, and I continually wanna let him in. I haven't arrived in the sense that the redemptive work of Jesus is full and complete and I'm complete in him, yes. But in terms of conforming and growing in him, there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to grow in, right? You get our hearts right and our actions and attitudes lined up. How many of you'd like to see that in today's world? Let's awaken to that. Let's be woke in that direction. And if there's gonna be any cancel culture, let it be what the, the sacrifice of Jesus atoned for. Say this with me, Jesus, 
I thank you for your mercy. And I accept your grace and the ability that you give to help me to walk with you, your strength, your power, your Holy Spirit is gonna see me through. I receive your grace and mercy tonight. You are my Lord and my Savior. You've rescued me and ransomed me, bought me with a price. You canceled out all my sin. Past, present, and future sin are under the blood of Jesus. I receive healing in my body and I receive your mercy and forgiveness for my sins.